Welcome to the Divine Career Design Podcast. I'm your host, Jody Palmer. Week to week, you'll hear me interview experts in their fields of study, the highlights and challenges within their career, what an actual day-to-day looks like in their practice, and how to become an expert like them. There's so much to share, and I'm excited to get started. Hello, everyone. This is Jody, and I am in studio today. You might have noticed that my last few episodes have taken a shift in what we're focusing on. And I'll explain a little bit as to why that is. Normally, I focus on working on working with teens on building habits for success and career focus. But what I got an overwhelmingly response from the parents that I support and the teens that I work with is that they need emotional strategies for how to work through the pandemic that we're dealing with. And in some situations, parents really feel like they're at a loss with regards to how to navigate this and support their teen. So today we're going to cover what it looks like to have proactive parenting skills. And I'm going to share with you the four steps to emotionally supporting your teen. These are strategies that you could use collectively or one by one. You might want to pick and choose some of the ones you think could work for you, try it out, and then try another one. What I can tell you is that we are in an unforgettable unpredictable circumstance right now. But what I also can tell you is that there is going to be unpredictable circumstances in your and your child's future also. There are going to be things that happen that they just don't didn't expect were going to come or know how to handle them. So building your child up in these strategies is going to not only help them in this current situation, but it's going to set them up for success because a lot of these components are things and practices that successful leaders do on a daily basis. So let's go ahead and get started with our first strategy. And this one is going to be to make time to connect with your child. Now, this is a very intentional time that you're using in order to spend time with one another. What do I mean by intention? It means it doesn't just happen when you have an extra moment, although that would be nice to add to it. It doesn't just happen because something got canceled. Being intentional about about setting time aside with your child is actually scheduling it into your calendar, into your day, and into your week. And creating opportunities to spend time with them, doing something that might be new and fun. My daughter and I like to cook meals together. We also like to play games together. We actually call these date days. And we spend a date day or night together 
every week. So this is an intentional time that we set aside for one another where we get to just be together. And one of the most important parts about how to do this that's going to engage your child and want them to be there, because I'm the first to raise my hand in knowing what it feels like when you ask your son or daughter, mine, I particularly have a daughter, but I ask her, hey, do you want to do, want to go on a bike ride? And going on a bike ride is not her most fun thing to do. So how can you ensure that your child is actually going to agree to this or want to spend time with you? And one of the things that is important to know about your children is their love language. Now, Gary Chapman is the author of the love languages. And there are love languages for yourself. There's love languages for knowing what your spouse wants. There's love languages for knowing what your child or your children like. So what are the five love languages? The first one is quality time. And Actually, these are in no particular order. So they really are just in the order of which I remember them. (laughs) And quality time for me is actually my favorite. That's my number one love language, quality time. But here's what I know. It's not my daughter's number one love language. So oftentimes the mistake is, is that we show our love in the way we like to receive love. And Considering that quality time is my love language, but it's not my daughter's number one love language, sometimes there can be a mismatch. That's why it would be important to know what your child's love language is. So the first one is quality time. The second one would be gifts, receiving gifts. If you like to receive gifts and that's how you identify love, There's one of your love languages. The third one is physical touch. This would be holding hands or rubbing shoulders or a hug. How do you like to receive love? If that sounds like you, that would be yours. The fourth one is words of affirmation. These are words affirming the person you're showing love to in a positive way. Telling them, I love you because, or I appreciate you because, or I like it when you. Those are ways that we can affirm with words, and words are very powerful, as we know. So that was the fourth. And the last and the fifth one is your acts of service. An acts of service would be doing something for someone else. It could be perhaps going and getting your favorite ice cream flavor. It could be doing the dishes or taking out the trash. For your child, it could be you helping to do them, helping to do something for them. So these are the ways that we can display by showing, giving, and receiving love. These five ways that Gary Chapman identifies. And there actually is opportunity for you to take an online quiz. If you Google it, I know that there are some out there. I was just having a conversation with my daughter about these particular things. And like I had mentioned, mine is quality time, but that's not her number one. So knowing what your child's 
love languages will help to draw them in to spending time with you and doing something that they love to do. Or it could just be in how you ask. And parents, I want to affirm and reassure you, even if your teenager acts like they don't want to spend time with you and they huff and they puff and they roll their eyes, kind of like the big bad wolf did in the three little pigs story, they still want your love, attention, and affection without question. So even if it takes a few times of you asking to spend time together, please continue to do that because that's so important. And creating a fun atmosphere in which you can have that date day or that date night for you and your child to do something together, it's awesome. Some of my daughter and I's date nights during the COVID experience has been we make dinner and walk to a cliff where no one is around And we sit and we have a picnic dinner overlooking the cliff at sunset. So that's one way that we have incorporated our date night. One date day for us has been to, there's a private beach near us, has been to go take a walk on that private beach. And so if there's an area where you know you're in the wilderness and you're safe, but There isn't going to be other people around if this is something that you're making sure that you're following those guidelines and regulations. That's an option for you as well. Pack a picnic and go on date night. Another one for my daughter and I has been to drive to a a beautiful area where we saw scenery that we liked and we enjoyed and to pop the hatch of the car and sit in the back of the hatch and have our meal there. So there's a few options for including date nights into our experience that we're going through right now. Another alternative would be playing a game at home. So there's your first strategy to make sure you're taking time to connect and how to do that and sort of get your child's buy-in will include making it fun and making it a date and knowing their love language and how you can connect with them. Okay, so let's move on to number two. Number two is going to be to ask your child how they are feeling. Okay, but wait, that might sound simple because there are some real big factors in this. So you want to ask, how are you feeling? And then you want to wait and listen. And you might not get a response right away. But I can guarantee that there are emotions and feelings about what they're experiencing that they need to talk about. One of the things that's important is that we teach our children that all of our emotions are acceptable. Anger, frustration, happiness, gladness, everything under the book They're all okay because they're all real and they're all happening. There's a few ways to help our kids identify them. And we're going to talk about that. 
because it's important that we as parents validate our teens' emotions. Don't play down their feelings. If they're telling you they're pissed off, it's not a good idea to say you shouldn't be pissed off. A better response might be, well, why do you feel pissed? And knowing that there's a way to communicate being pissed off in a in another way, I'm feeling angry, I'm feeling frustrated. But we're going to talk about how identifying our emotions is important and then secondly, how we can combat those. So asking your child how they're feeling, validating their emotions, no matter what those are, is important. And being sensitive and attuned to them rather than reactive. So for a parent going into that conversation, you're going to have to be armed and equipped with love and empathy and understanding and teaching your child through repeating their emotions to them. So if your child says, I'm so pissed, you can say, I understand why you're frustrated. And that's one way that we're validating and reframing emotions to be able to work with them. Because the truth is, is that many emotions come down to fear. And I know that we are in a pandemic right now. And what I am here to say is that fear is the number one killer. Not this pandemic. So helping our teens to move away from fear when fear is rampant is what's going to move them into success. There's a way to do that. And focusing on gratitude is one opportunity. I understand that teens are experiencing disconnection from their friends. They don't have the joys of going to school. For some, they're not being fed because their meals came from school. This is a reality of what we're dealing with. They're in fear of their parents having to be evicted from their home because the parents aren't working and they're getting, they they might lose their home. These are real life stories that I've heard. And it's heartbreaking. When you can focus on what you're grateful for. I'm grateful for my family. I am grateful in this very moment for what you have right now. Because the truth is, is that one of those fears that continues to show up is this idea of 
unpredictable expectations. We don't know what to expect. We don't know what's going to happen. And that's fearful. That's scary. But if we can focus on the here and now and use gratitude as a place for staying present, that's going to make a difference for your child. Okay, so that was number two. The first one is to make time to connect. And when you're connecting, validate their emotions. The third one are strategies for resiliency. Resiliency is the ability to deal with what comes your way. That's the easiest way to put it. And we think that our kids are resilient, and it's true they are. But I can guarantee you, kids are being impacted by this. If you're not seeing it in your child, keep asking questions. Even if your questions don't elicit anything in conversation with your child, at least they know you're there and you care. So keep asking questions. So some strategies for resiliency. How do we build resilient kids? This is not something that happens overnight. This might not even be something that happens over a few months. If you're intentional every day about doing it, using words that have power and meaning for your child, sure, you'll see a difference and a shift. But this is really something that we can focus on every day to strengthen our kids' confidence and resiliency in the world. So one of them is taking deep breaths. Breath work and patterns of breathing makes a significant difference. And this is one of the factors that shows up in so many pieces of research of where success and leadership and progress and mindfulness all overlap, connecting to your breath. There's easy ways to do that. Another one is listening to music. Giving your child an opportunity to quiet and listen to music. We also know that listening to some of our great composers, Mozart, for example, that taps into resources in our brain that stimulate thinking and engagement because those are sounds we don't hear that often. And so it's triggering parts of our brain to question, like, ooh, that's a new sound. That's interesting. And music elicits emotion. All right, another one is to give your child an opportunity to have a quiet place, a quiet place for a quiet time. And sitting in silence, allowing them in that quiet place. This could be for prayer, meditation, or simply just silence. It doesn't really matter what you call it. It's just giving them that space. One of the most powerful things is when a child can identify that that's what they need. It takes us practicing with them for them to then take the leadership 
in knowing what they need and identifying it themselves. Another one would be taking a walk. Getting in nature is a great way to calm us down. Cuddling with something soft. Maybe your child has a special stuffed animal or toy or blanket, or maybe they don't, and just something soft. It's comforting. I know it is for me. Another one would be punching a pillow. Just getting that aggression out. And the reason why is because motion releases emotion. So when you are in movement, it releases emotion. And the last one would be shouting into a pillow. No one can hear what you're saying. And you can say whatever it is you're feeling, but you get it out of your body. The longer you're holding it in your body, the bigger the impact it's going to have. So the faster you can do any of these, maybe all of them, maybe one or two of them, and depending on what that emotion is, might be what you choose in building resiliency. So let's go back. The first one is making time to connect, validating their emotions. And once you identify their emotion, how can you give them a strategy to work through that emotion? And there was just a few of options. And depending on the emotion, you could choose. And you could even give a choice to your child. Do you think it would be easier if you listened to music right now or did some breath work? And maybe you want to do it with them. That's kind of loosening or letting go of that scariness of trying something new that your child might not know. The more simply we can make these things, the easier it'll be for our kids to be able to practice them on their own. And there's no better feeling than when a child says, oh, I was feeling upset, and so I decided to do my deep breathing. And I've heard those words from a five-year-old through my practice in this. I've heard words like that from my teen when I said, how'd you deal with that? And she said, I counted backwards from 10. There's another strategy for you. These work, but they do take intention to create the structure around how to do them. Okay. The last and fourth strategy is going to be building their emotional intelligence. Let me tell you a little bit about what emotional intelligence is. We all know what our IQ is. Our IQ is related to our intellectual intelligence. Our EQ is related to our emotional intelligence. How well are we able to self-assess? create strategies for ourselves, manage our relationships and ourself. So these are some of the factors that incorporated that are incorporated in emotional intelligence. And they have huge social impact as well. 
Because how we regulate ourselves, and then how we help to regulate ourselves in our social and relationship dynamics makes all the difference. So let's talk about a few strategies. Now, there are so many strategies for each one of these. And I love using the Emotional Intelligence Resource by Travis Bradbury and Jean Greaves. It's great for reminding me of one's strategies that I don't always implement because I have the ones in my tool belt, my back pocket that I consistently use that work really well. But then when I come to one or I come to a situation or circumstance, and I'm like, gosh, my strategies are not working. I can go to this as a reference for what I can do instead. But I'll share with you my top strategies that work. So for self-awareness, I mentioned and pointed this out before that we need to stop treating our feelings as good or bad. Feelings are feelings, and they're true no matter what. How can we move past them is being able to identify them and lean into them. If you're feeling sad, don't tell yourself, I shouldn't be sad right now. Please don't tell your child, oh, you don't need to be sad. If they're sad, they're sad. There's a reason why. So lean into that sadness, find out why, and work through it. Because leaning into that discomfort is a sure way and strategy for equipping our kids to handle those feelings and emotions when they come up in life. And I can tell you there is not one emotion that I have had that didn't repeat itself. But now I'm faster and quicker to identify it and manage it so it doesn't have such a hold on me. Another one, and this leans into what I shared before about discomfort, is feeling your emotions physically. If you're sad, be sad and cry. That's okay. However you want to express your emotion is completely okay, as long as you're not harming yourself or someone else. Keeping a journal about your emotions. This helps you to build a pattern and know why your emotions continue to come up. And then spotting your emotions in other places in your environment. So when you're watching TV or you're watching movies or you're hearing a conversation at a table next to you at a restaurant, even though we're not going to restaurants right now, Any of those opportunities where you as a parent can say, oh, I can tell that that child's upset, or I can tell that child is sad. When you point it out, it's not that you're doing from a place of judgment. You're coming from a place of teaching, teaching your child how to identify emotions. So that way then they, when they have that emotion, they can identify it too. So there's a few options for self-awareness. Now, how do we manage once we identify? So let's talk here. And I mentioned a few of these before. So I'm just going to quickly and briefly review any of them. The first one would be to breathe. And I referred to box breathing as one of your opportunities to self-manage. 
Another one is to count to 10 or to count backwards from 10. That's one my daughter uses. Smile and laugh more. People who smile more feel happier. It's just a plain truth and fact. They also are more liked and more approachable. So just train yourself to smile. Monitor your self-talk. So this is a big, big one. Choosing the voice in your brain and how it talks to you, because we all talk to ourselves, but managing it and directing it to a positive place where you're focused on growth and positivity makes all the difference. Another one would be visualizing yourself succeeding and having success. So for our kids who are struggling right now, visualizing themselves succeeding in their online classes because kids are working remotely. And this is a challenge and a new experience for many of them. And the last one is focusing on your freedoms rather than your limitations. And this would be huge to use during our quarantine time. What freedoms do you have? Rather than what you can't do, what can you do? I can take a walk. I can do exercise in my room. What can you do? And focusing on that is a way to listen and then change it to a positive for managing your strategies. All right. And for parents moving back to how we can emotionally support our child. The most important pieces here are building trust and having an open door policy. And if you can build trust and have an open door policy, your relationship will become so much stronger and it will be amazed, you'll be amazed at what unfolds with what your child's willing to share with you. When you know you come from a place of listening, from care, from awareness, from empathy. And I know and believe we're all doing the very best we can. And I also know and believe there's always more that we can do to improve. And I have that growth mindset as a parent. There's always more I can do to improve my practice with my daughter. I try something, and when it doesn't work, I talk with her about it and then change it if it's not working. So thank you for listening today. I will be coming in the studio and sharing more ideas, tips, tricks, and strategies for how we can continue to support our teens through this emotionally challenging time. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. I would love if you posted it on social media and tagged me. Gosh, that would be like the best feeling in the world. And I think sharing those positive feelings are the ways that we can make a greater impact for parents who need support, for the teens and kids who need our support. Like always, I'm available 
please send me a direct message or an email. You can reach me at info at amplifyyou.org. And I look forward to talking with you again next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Divine Career Design Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show and share it with your friends. Connect with me further on Instagram at amplify.u or visit the website at www.amplifyu.org to join our email list and receive our free guide to a divinely led career.